I don't want to steal thunder from the fantastic storytelling of the guest we're going to have on this podcast in just a few minutes, but my intention in our little opening bit here was just to start by saying we play too much hockey. As weird as it sounds to say that, we just play too much hockey. I'm starting, I, I was never a fan of your argument when it came to this, but the more and more a, I cover the league. The more and more I watch how much ho- this much hockey, and then see how much hockey other players are playing and whatnot, I'm I'm starting to to come on board with you. There's certain tournaments and certain games we can get rid of. And in this case, the reason it bugs me the most, and again, I don't want to steal the thunder from our guest who puts it so perfectly, and quite frankly, has far more right to put it the way he does than I do. But we're on our way home from a game between the London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers at the Budweiser Gardens during which three players were absent from the game, two from the Knights, one from the Rangers, because they're playing in the top prospects game two nights from now. And by rule of the league, the players must have the time off beforehand because they've got to do the dog and pony show and, and before they play that prospects game. But I don't understand then why you would even schedule a game in any of the 48 hours around this top prospects game because what you're doing is you're denying a league team the right to have their players play for them in a game that, heck, this turns out to be a divisional game. These are two points. No matter what team you're playing against, I just don't know why you would take players away deliberately almost. Like If if you have to have that 48-hour window around the prospects game, don't schedule any games. I don't even... You said you don't want to steal any thunder from our guest. And I don't even think I can voice my opinion because he nailed it so perfectly. At the end of the day, you're trying to grow the game. And how you do that is with talented players. And you're booking a game, but then you're taking some of the talented players out of it. You're robbing fans from coming to the game. Imagine a fan who was coming to the game today because his favorite player was Evan Bouchard. And he wanted to go see a Kitchener Rangers London Knights match. And he picked this one, not knowing that the top prospects game was there and not knowing that Evan Bouchard would be ranked number fifth among North American skaters and obviously he would be in that game. And he goes to the game wearing his Bouchard jersey and doesn't even get to see him. That is a ripoff. And that's why I think it's all about the fans and you're taking players out of the game and fans can't watch those kids. I don't think it's right. We got U-17s, we got U-18s, we got U-20s, also known as the World Juniors. We got top prospects, we got Canada-Russia. Oh yeah, and by the way, we've got a 68-game regular season, not to mention a playoff, not to mention an OHL championship before a round robin for a Memorial Cup. I, I just think it's a little much. And look, we see scouts all the time. I have the utmost respect for the roads they travel first and foremost, the likes of which we're driving home in tonight, not great, but the rinks they go to. And... I kind of sort of think I get the idea of the top prospects game, but these scouts see these players night in, night out around this league anyway. We can assure you of that. See, this is one of the ones that I like, though. I don't mind a top prospects game because this is a way, I think, of growing it to the fans that may not watch junior hockey. There's people that will watch the top prospects game that have never heard of Aiden Dudas or of Evan Bouchard or whoever. Name any of those kids. There's fans, and ourselves included. We don't follow the Q or the dub that well. There's going to be players that we've never seen play that I want to watch to see where they where they grade up against players that we watch on a more frequent basis. It's going to be interesting to see. We watch Giovanni Vel- 
Giovanni Velotti 68 games a year. It'll be interesting to see how he rates amongst you know forwards from the queue and the, the dub. How he his gap control against them. How he rates with other defensemen on his team and stuff like that. It's the it's the Canada Russia one that I'm like get it over with. Why are we doing that? There's no reason to do it anymore at all. It's lost all of its luster. And really, like, does any... I'm sure some people watch it, but who, who cares now? It does, it's, not, it's not doing anything. It's not benefiting the game in any way. So we've had the opportunity on this podcast uh, in these early days to talk to uh, a couple of, of real notable broadcasters in the likes of Don Cameron and Freddie Wallace, Fast Freddie as they call him up in Owen Sound. Larry Malott. 1,800 games worth of Larry Malott. We talked to him just after that milestone was reached. And, you know, when we were coming to London and thinking about something on the road to bring to the listeners, uh, there, there's one name that, that comes to mind. And, yeah, I guess we've already tipped our hat that it's a, a broadcaster. Yeah, oh. Dale, right. But, you know, it's... I, I was truly... And, I, and I'm, I'm encouraging you just to sit back and enjoy because I did not know this gentleman was the kind of storyteller that he turned out to be. Uh, quite frankly, I'd, I'd still be happy standing there talking to him. We could have skipped the game entirely. We were about four questions, or we had about four questions left, and at that point, I could tell that we were getting to a length that was comfortable, and I didn't want to keep him anymore, but I kept wanting to talk to him, and I was just kept hoping you wouldn't give me that wrap-up look. I'm like, don't even look at Mike. Don't, I'm not taking the wrap-up look. There's so much more I want to ask this guy. There's so many more stories I wanted him to tell. He's one of those people that has been around the game of hockey and sport of every every facet that you just want to say, tell me more stories and just let him pick some of his own and much like some of the gentlemen you just mentioned where you just want to sit down and be like can you just tell me stories for an hour because I want to know that's all it is this may be the sort of thing we revisit in future podcasts just because it was so enlightening again I admit to not having any understanding of the the depth of storytelling we could get from this gentleman and you know fans love to London is the OHL city all fans love to hate we get it I'm sure the London Knights and the aforementioned Dale Hunter probably enjoys that reputation but there's also a lot to like uh, about the city of London and the way this franchise conducts its affairs and particularly uh, seeing a gem like this when you go to the rink well if you of course it's one of the places that you love to hate every hero needs a villain and it is the villain for many uh, OHL clubs. If you think about it from a player standpoint, if or even a parent standpoint, whether you're closer to the player age or a parent age, think of it from there. And when your kid or you get drafted to the Ontario Hockey League, if there was a place you'd want to go, it is London. There's, it is n- number one. The the pedigree of winning, the NHL caliber of scouts they have and people around that team that are from the pro level the connections they have the 9,000 plus seat arena the the talent that they continue to bring in their coach the list goes on and on and on and first and foremost is how they treat their players and it you have to say it is a great organization you don't have to like it but you you do have to respect it I have a 
teeny tiny story that will pale completely in comparison to the stories you're about to hear from this gentleman on uh, on the podcast. But we're going to sit back and let him tell the stories for a while. And hey, they're not even all about hockey. I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed, well, listening as we had this conversation with Pete James before a game between the London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers. You just used the word dinosaur, Pete, but that's not right. They call you the Dean of the Ontario Hockey League. Come on, that's a worthy title, isn't it? Well, they both start with D. I prefer dinosaur. We're recording this on a phone. Yeah, you betcha. I don't own one. Never have, never will. My telephone's plugged into the wall at home. Call me what you want, I don't care. Back here for a Knights hockey game, right. and they're one of their arch rivals anyway, the Kitchener Rangers right. in town. Yeah. Looking at this rivalry over your storied career, how would you describe it? Very intense, very good. Uh, some of the rivalries London's been in, like Windsor, you've had one team high, one team low, but London and Kitchener are usually on the same level. They're usually pretty good. Some years are exceptionally good. Uh, but mostly it's a good game. Because the teams are pretty equal in talent. Now, tonight, they're missing some guys because of that ridiculous rule about the top prospects game. That's idiotic. Uh, when you got a kid from Kitchener that's, what, a 30-minute drive away from Guelph, and two from London that's an hour and 15 away from Guelph, have to be there 48 hours before the game? Ridiculous. <laughs> Stupid. It's going to take away from the guy who buys the ticket to see tonight's game. That's who I'm concerned about. The guy that puts out the 22 or 3 bucks to watch the best and he's not because somebody insists that some of the better players and god knows if 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 they don't know who the top prospects are by now your scouting staff isn't doing its job (laughs) i couldn't agree with you more now pete i gotta come back to the fact that you still don't own a phone which is great because i wish i didn't but let's talk about 40 years in this game you traveled with this team you covered the ontario hockey league as a broadcaster at home and on the road so take us through a typical game day preparation and broadcast for you we have to tweet and email and do all kinds of things on these phones during the game what what was it like for you Back then, you brought your tape recorder, made sure you had a power outlet that you could plug into because I never trusted batteries in a battery-run tape recorder. And I'd interview Dale Hunter and say, "Uh, Coach, can you come into the next room with me? I got an outlet there. Yeah, let's go, Pistol. He always called me Pistol Pete. So, uh, yeah, let's go, Pistol. Hurry it up. Let's get this thing done. And then I'd get the visiting code. Boo, tape recorder. And even you, Mike, are old enough to know what that is. <laughs> even before the, the Hunters were here, like the, the broadcasting day-to-day yep. if, at the old arena, say, yep. what, what was it like for you? Same thing. You'd show up with a tape recording. I'd talk to maybe Paul McIntosh, who was a coach and general manager, or, a God love him, a, a favorite of mine, Turk Broda, when he coached the London Nationals. They had more laughs with Turk. Uh, but you just went about your daily duties doing what you do with different equipment let's put it that way yeah you had the uh, distinct honor i would call it pete of being the uh, master of ceremonies for the opening of both the old ice house (laughs) and what was then known as the john labatt center here in london take me through those two experiences yeah well the first one was in 1963 it opened uh, at the uh, at the old ice house treasure island gardens what it was called then and uh, you missed you missed one, Mike. I closed that as well. <laughs> I I opened it. Did you turn I, off the lights? No, no, I didn't do that. Okay. Something else. I opened it. I closed it. I I was co MC for opening this one. One of my lines was, 
Somebody else will be closing this one, not me. <laughs> I won't be around for that. When you first came up into the media box here and got to see the vantage point, the mm-hmm. setup and everything, and looking back to the time at the old London Arena, <laughs> how would you describe the, where you called from that the old arena right. to now this place? Yeah, well, what they did here, the man who was, uh, was, was putting this thing together, basically, got the media together, print, radio, TV, and brought us up to this location and said, boys, here's what we're planning. What do you want? How can we change it? And I had some input there. I said from the radio side, uh, all we'll need is a very workable space. We can put a little bit of equipment and make some notes. That's all we want. And with my hands, I extended them out as far as I can and said, we'd need this much and a little bit more. (laughs) And he said, fine. And that's what we got. And, and the, the, the print guys, of course, they wanted plugs in the, uh, so they could get their, their laptops working. Television, they wanted the cameras where they are. And we all have uh, very good broadcast locations here on the upper level of the press box. And so the, they, the, for once, the people who were going to use the facility were asked what they need. And then he came back a second time and said, here's what we've changed, and came back a third time and said, how does this final draft look? And it's perfect, as it is now. It wasn't quite like this at the Ice House, if I remember correctly. Oh, no. God, no. Oh, no. Well, it wasn't bad. Uh, I mean, when they built that thing in the early 60s, uh, there wasn't the mass media coverage that there is now. There was the local newspaper, Beat Writer, uh, very little television, uh, radio. There was always radio. Uh, uh, This league has, has been blessed by very by excellent radio coverage and it's it, it's been existing as long as this league's existing uh, so so it, 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 we got what we needed it just wasn't quite as sophisticated as it is here I've said and you know the fans in Kitchener who really are heated about this rivalry I think get upset but this is the top notch building to broadcast from You're, what you've described is absolutely right. right it's it's the pristine location and when we were here last Chris and I were looking up in the rafters and man there's a, an awful lot of banners hanging up there and we went through a bunch of them and of course there's one with your face <laughs> on it too Pete what come on now listen we're all in the same business here we broadcast <laughs> hockey games on the radio yeah. but you will you may not close this place but that's up there for Forever, sir. What is that? What was that ceremony like for you? It was. Uh, uh, they got me by surprise. Mark and Dale. Uh, I knew they were going to do something. They said I had to bring my wife, my son, my daughter, which I did do. And then all of a sudden, uh, the lady who was in charge of game day uh, uh, events said, "Look up there, Pete," and they unraveled this. And I, it, it really did. It floored me. It was a shot right between the eyes. I had no idea. I mean, there's some talent over there. Brandon <laughs> Shanahan. Cicerelli, Marsh, Ramage, uh, uh, all the boys were there before me. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm beside Don Brankley. Uh, it really did take me by total surprise. Mike, I had no idea that was going to happen. And I was just flabbergasted. And, and, of course, thanked them very profusely. Went on and said all the things you're expected to say. <laughs> it, it says next to your name, Godfather of Sports. Right. Where did that come from? That came from a man named Steve Garrison, a longtime morning show host. On the radio station I was at, CJBK on the AM side of the dial. Uh, and Steve and I had had a professional relationship uh, for a long time uh, when I was at the, uh, the anchor at the television station. Uh, and when I went to join him after my TV days ended, he started one morning, said, We got the godfather of sports in London, Pete James, with us starting this morning and just carried on from there. So Steve Garrison, uh, morning show host, was the man who originated that. 
Okay, so whether it's the dean, whether it's Pistol, whether it's the godfather, here's the million-dollar question for you, Mr. Right, James, and, right. and that is this. Having been with this franchise, covered it for 40 years and since beyond, it since it began, yeah. How does a team go from three wins in a season, <laughs> the lowest of the low, to 59 wins in a season, the highest of the high? Well, I have always said, Mike, that everything, success ripples from the top. When you, I can remember interviewing Bart Starr, who you'll remember as a quarterback with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he was there when Lombardi took over. And he said the first, I said, how did he take an also ran into a champion? He said he reorganized the front office first. The front office was just humming. He said he even redesigned the letterhead. Uh, he did everything to get that just ticking like a, like a watch. Then he worked on the football team. It's the same here. The Hunter boys, they work so hard at what they do. And we've seen the results. And it's a continuing uh, success story for a league that's every year you're losing your top talent. Uh, but these guys never seem to re, uh, rebuild. They reload. So it, it's successful management. And that just rubs off. We have kids come in here. The three new kids that have come in here all said basically the same thing. Boy, we wanted to play here. And the mothers that I've interviewed after the draft, this is one place we wanted our son to go. So, I mean, it's, it's not lost. The success of this franchise isn't lost out there. Everyone involved in minor hockey knows about it. And I must say to your audience, Kitchener is the same way. They've been a successful team for a long, long time. Windsor is, is in that mix. Uh, uh, I don't worry about the East too much. But those three clubs... London, Kitchener, the organization I'm talking about, of course, uh, uh, are, are, are to me the three best in in the Western Conference, if not the entire league. Okay, sorry, can I just go back to um, half a moment because I believe you said interviewed Bart Starr. Excuse me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did that come to pass? It came to pass right here in London. We have a sports celebrity dinner every year. Fortunately, I was in on one of the founding fathers of it, and we invite the personalities from the world of sport. Uh, this year, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, Christine Sinkler, the best uh, Canadian woman soccer player ever is going to be here. But anyway, we had Bart up uh, to speak at, at that engagement. That's how I got to talk to him. Uh, he, was, he was doing the commercial. Some, some people of my uh, generation might remember he was doing uh, uh, commercials on televisions for Vitalis. My last question was a personal one, Bart, and he sort of frowned a little bit. I said, are you still using that greasy kid stuff in your hair? <laughs> and we both did what we're just doing now. We had a big laugh out of it. That's how I got to meet Bart. So Bart Starr is obviously up there, I'm assuming. But going back throughout your whole career, London Nights and Radio and Television, I'm sure you have numerous interviews that you can oh. remember and some big names. Who is the one person that you interviewed that you look back and go, wow? Yeah, I always wow at the Bobby Hort interviews, Bobby Hort, because I consider him the best hockey player I've ever seen. Uh, and, and Bobby was so gentle and so humble. And he was training here in London with the Bruins in the late 60s, early 70s, when they trained here every fall. He was 18 years old. And, and uh, you couldn't meet a nicer kid off the You just couldn't. And he, he just was a very... For a kid that was so good, <laughs> Gordy Howe was the same way. I mean, the bigger they are... Uh, the more humility comes with it. Bobby, Gordy, uh, guys like Bart Starr, very, very nice man. Uh, some of the heavyweight boxers I've, I've, I've done, like George Chevallo, uh, Joe Frazier, uh, some of the other ones that I've... I, the only guy I didn't meet I, ever, I wanted to in my career was Muhammad Ali. I did George Foreman. Was a real nice man, George. 
he had fists on him. My God Almighty, they'd spread across the street, you know. And, but anyway, uh, yeah, those, that's kind of Bobby Orr. He's certainly up the top. Real quick, you mentioned Shivalo and Ali. I know you're a boxing guy. Yeah. Did Shivalo win that fight against Ali right time the hospital? Uh, I was at ringside with a reporter from Sudbury. And Muhammad was just peppering him with, with, with punches. We said to each other, let's count him the next round. 75 punches all he threw. Now, mind you, George blocked a lot of them. But George was so tough. He had so much stamina. No one. He just kept wading in. No, he didn't win the fight. Ali won the fight. You know, Pete, you, listening to these stories, I mean, a lifetime in sports, but in its heyday, right? When when a sports director and a sports anchor broadcaster, just you did so much. You're talking Bart Starr. You're talking these, these boxing one matches. One more for you. Of course. Jesse Owens. Oh, my goodness. Who won the two gold medals at the 36 Olympics. Uh, he ran against Hitler's picked man, the, the pure Aryan that was going to show everybody else how strong we were. Jesse beat him. And I don't he think he didn't get to meet Hitler, <laughs> but he said he gave me a great quote. I said, do you look back on those days? He said, well, he said, I'm having a lot of fun here in London today. I don't know what Hitler's doing wherever he is. I hope he's having as much fun as I am. <laughs> and you, again, a very humble man for a man that was so good. And I said, did you get to meet your opponent? He said, yeah, he was a nice guy. He said, we were two runners. He congratulated me. And unfortunately, the opponent was killed in World War II. How did it all come to pass, Pete? A kid that grows up and starts Hamilton. in radio in Hamilton, and then it was, I, I thought there was some professional training in New York yes, City, St. Yes, Catherine, St. Yes. Thomas, here we are. Yes, and exactly the same route that uh, our old buddy Donnie Cameron <laughs> took. Don went from, uh, I believe, uh, Prince Edward Island to St. Catharines to Kitchener. I went Hamilton, St. Catharines to London, uh, and, and I fell in love with this town I've had opportunities to move, as no doubt Don has, as no doubt you will get, but I didn't want to leave. I, I didn't want to leave what I had, so I stayed. And it was a great place to raise a family, like it is in Kitch and a lot of other places. What, what is it that kept you not only in London, but in the OHL? You mentioned offers to leave and whatnot, but what is it about this league, and I guess the city as well, that kept you here? Well, the city, I just said I love it here. I just, I just do a great place to raise a family. The league, I like seeing kids come in here as 16-year-olds and leave as men. And there's a whole, there's a, a raft that's full of them. Guys like that, I love to see Brad Marsh, who I met as a 15-year-old, Rob Ramage, uh, to go on and, and get the Corey Perry, have the careers that they've had at the top of their game. That, that's the kick I get out of junior hockey, is seeing the kids progress to the point that they are, they're at right now. A lot of people ask us still to this day, oh, what's it like on the road? And I try to downplay the glamour of it because there's not a whole heck of a lot. But it wasn't that long ago. What, seven, eight years you finished yeah. traveling with this team? Mm-hmm. But you're still here. Every time we come to London, we see Pete James. Yeah. Do you miss the road? No, not at all. <laughs> Bill, Bill Long, who coached here for a long time, used to call the bus the Iron Long. And, and I always sort of laughed at that when I was a little younger. But when I got a little older, I didn't because... Uh, when you climb on a bus, and you guys do it, and you climb on a bus in Sault Ste. Marie at 10.30 at night, and you pull in the kitchen at 6 o'clock in the morning, there's nothing glamorous about that. And, and teenage sense of humor doesn't really get me anymore. <laughs> I mean, the kids laugh at things uh, that, that, that don't strike me as funny. And, but they're kids. They're 16 and 17, 18 years old. But, no, I don't miss the bus at all. Not at all. <laughs> 
what is it that keeps you coming back to games each and every night? I love it. I just love the game. I love junior hockey, as I've said. I love to see the kids come in here as children and leave as adults. Uh, that's that's the progression. I like to see. I like the competition uh, between the teams. Uh, I sometimes think that there's a little more emotion in the junior game than the pro game because they're all making tons of money. These kids aren't. They're trying to make tons of money, and very few of them will uh, make the kind of money that, that, that a lot of them in the NHL make. But they're all giving it a try. They love it here and uh, wherever. And I mean here in the OHL, Kitchener, Windsor, wherever. Pick a spot, Sarnia. So that's what, that's what turns my crank, You're watching the kids come in young and go out as men. We've talked about a lot of the players that have come through this franchise, and I know it's like asking a favorite kid, <laughs> Pete, but is there one that really stands out, or a team, maybe that 0405 team, yeah. you know, that really stands out to you? Yeah, that one does for sure. There was a 77 team that had Marsh and Ramage and Pat Riggin in goal. Uh, Dino played on that team, Dino Cicerelli and a few others. Uh, they, were, they were very, very good. Beat the Hamilton Finn Cups huh. in Game 8 of a best-of-seven series kid named Danny Eastman scored the winning goal in overtime. That just sent the entire city in, into a, a human emotional tsunami. And uh, that, that's, uh, again, going back to, to watching these kids play and get emotional. As I say, the emotion at ju- the junior level is much better to me than the, than the NHL because they're trying to get the NHL. Or the, the guys up there are there. But no, that, that 77 team, the 2005 team, uh, and and uh, the, a couple of years ago, when we had uh, Kachuk uh, and uh, Marner uh, you know, on the other side of Dvorak, that was, that was a pretty good team, too, <laughs> and won a Memorial Cup. It, we kind of alluded to it, but if you were forced, and I'm just going to re-ask it, kind of, mm-hmm. if there was a player that, if someone were to ask you, who was the best player you ever saw play for the London Knights? And it's hard to compare generations to generations and whatnot, but is there one that every night that you just looked at and you were like, holy, jumping? I, no, I, I, I can't. <laughs> a few years ago when they celebrated their 50th anniversary, those of us who work at the Rogers Outlet here in London put together the all-time Knights team, three goalies, six defensemen. Dennis Weidman was on it, by the way. Uh, and uh, 12, 12 forwards. Uh, that's the best I can do. Uh, I, uh, a, a kid like Dennis Maruk comes to mind because he was a small man in a huge man's game. Never bothered him. Never. He went out, scored goals, did, did things. Pat Kane. I remember interviewing Pat Kane the spring he was drafted. I said, are you coming to training camp in the fall? He said, you know, I don't know if I'm big enough to play in the OHL. <laughs> that, that was the summer they changed the rules and made this a skill game rather than a size grunt and groan game and Patty came in and got about 60 goals and was in the NHL the next year so I love that when they made it a skill game because that's what it is but I, I can't pick out one guy sorry no it's allowed so do you do you like the way the game has evolved to what we're seeing today compared yeah. to those rough and tumble games yes. teams in the 60s and 70s yes I do because yeah. I can remember coaches asking scouts when they're going to take player, can he fight? That was a question. Can he fight? And I said to myself, what the hell's that got to do with putting a puck in the net? And I talked to another scout. He said, no, what I look at is can he win face-offs? Can he set up goals? Can he score goals? Can he kill penalties? How is he in the power play? But there was a time when, and Bill Long used to say, you could see the draft go from six foot two down to five foot eight. 
uh, everyone took the big guys first, and some of them were good. But size meant more than skill. Now it's the other way around, and I love it. Going back quickly just to Pete James the person, before you got into broadcasting, growing up, were you the type of person that sat at home and would watch hockey or listen to hockey on the radio and, and call the games yourself? Yes, I was, as a matter of fact. And I said to my parents, the first thing they asked me post-Santa Claus was, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, a radio. Uh, and, and they gave it to me. And I sat and listened to that thing hour after hour in my room bedroom and and said one day i'm going to be like that guy from new york i was listening to a man from new york and i'm in hamilton i said mom that's going to be me someday and of course there was a usual parental chuckle Uh, no one was prouder than my mom when i made my first broadcast in st Catharines, by the way almost right down the road was that foster hewitt is that who you're listening to or who who, anybody anyone yeah yeah. was there a play-by-play guy that you that you really liked growing up foster obviously growing up uh uh, uh, because that's who we listened to, uh, the Leafs, on Saturday night. I mean, and then it transferred to television, and uh, we watched uh, Foster and the crew. Uh, but, uh, no, I always, from from my infant years, my childhood years, I wanted to do what you and I and, and what we're all doing right now, be on the media. Well, we've got a game to watch here tonight. I can't thank you enough for your time on this, Pete. It's been a lot of fun. Well, the fun's all mine, and thank you so much for asking me. I'm flattered. Broadcaster aside, I cannot believe I just spoke to somebody that sat ringside to Muhammad Ali. That is amazing. Uh, that, was, that was the coolest part. OHL side, hockey side, I don't care. He watched George Chavalo, Muhammad Ali, ringside. That is the coolest thing I've ever done. Of the stories I expected to hear from Pistol Pete, the godfather, the dean, whatever name it is he's going by tonight, uh, I didn't expect a casual reference to Bart Starr to come out and I think that's what spun this thing in a really interesting direction I like Pete but I take offense to the fact he didn't think I would know who Bart Starr was he's like Mike you know who that is I'm like I know who that is you're talking about well anyway the casualness of just how like oh of course I did like whatever that's just my life ringside Ollie interviewing Bart Starr whatever who cares so the very first time I did a game at the Budweiser Gardens then the John Labatt Center. But I had the privilege of working with another guy who's done a few games in this league in the form of Don Cameron. And I know for sure that it was working alongside Don that brought me instant instant street cred or ice cred, whatever you want to call it in this league. But we walked into that media room and Pete, who of course you heard reference Don Cameron in that conversation, uh, couldn't be happier to see Don, sit down, want to have a conversation with Don. And I was literally sitting between them and it occurred to me how lucky I was at that moment because I was again quite literally at a table sitting between 100 years of OHL hockey experience and I did not say a word that entire night in the media room I just sat there and I listened and Pete has been so gracious and kind to me ever since but I'll never forget that I it honestly dawned on me that oh my gosh, I'm sitting between two men, each of whom have about 50 years of OHL experience behind them. Talking about Mr. Don Cameron, I'm a very outspoken person. I talk a lot. I like conversation. I'm loud. I remember when when Cammy was doing games with you, or rather you were doing games with Cammy, no disrespect, but let's call it what it is. I, I would sit in the media room while I was doing Rogers TV games 
and I would just be quiet because I didn't want to take up any time that he would want to speak. <laughs> That's the level of storyteller Don was, and I never wanted to 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 overtake that time. I'm like, just, can we just all just sit here and like? The, it was like a full couple seasons where you just want to be like, Don, tell a story, like tell us something we don't know. And I can imagine riding the bus with him. I just would have sat there in complete silence. He would have been like, Chris, are you you, you having fun? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me a story. Oh, man, you know, I don't want to get too far off the uh, the conversation we just had. But again, just as a, a brief aside, when you bring that up, the road was the absolute best. And I will never forget the first time I went on a roadie with Don. And I learned very quickly that when you go on a roadie, you take a traveler. Because I had done my day's work. We played in Barrie, drove up to Sudbury. So it was a Thursday night in Barrie. Off we go to Sudbury to play in Friday on Friday night, and we would always travel right after the game. So off we go. We get up to Sudbury. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. Again, listen, I'm not saying woe is me here, but I was ready to call it a night, and no sooner had that hotel door closed behind us than Don reached into his bag, pulled out a couple of tall boys of Alexander Keith's and said, help, help yourself if you'd like to have one, and thus began what I quickly learned was a tradition so we'd always have at least one sometimes two rarely three beers when we got back to the hotel and let me tell you there were times we would be going beyond four o'clock in the morning because I couldn't stop listening and I didn't want to stop listening and I just let him talk and the stories I wish I could remember them all but he told them brilliantly and I'm sure there's people in London who got to work alongside Pete James and got to go into the media room every day with him for the last 50 years that in, for the entire London Knights existence even dating back to the London National days that got to experience the same thing and that is one of the things about another thing I say this a lot on this podcast but another one of those things about this league that is just unbelievable that guys like you know you, you said that you had that street cred or the ice cred walking in with Don Cameron I don't have that to be able to Sit to go up to Pete James before the bus got there today and have a one-on-one conversation and him start talking to hockey, talking to me about hockey. I was like, does he like he does not need to do this? He could just look me off, you know, and not worry about a thing. But to sit there and talk about hockey and the weather and the drive and all that, the people in this game is what make our jobs so awesome. And you know, it is full of people like Don Cameron's and like Pete James's and and I was reflecting as you know we began this conversation and listened to Pete talk on the podcast earlier and I wonder I mean these guys for decades and decades and I'm I'm looking around the league now and I'm I'm thinking uh, to myself Jimmy Gilchrist who's a guy you have not yet met that well you met him in Kitchener but we're going to go to his barn in Kingston and I say that with respect his barn because Jimmy is like an encyclopedia in this league with the note keeping he's been doing before the OHL put out the stats packs the likes of which it puts out now Jimmy Gilchrist is making them on behalf of media when he was in Kingston and I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the OHL offices say hey, Jimmy we got to start putting out stats packs. What is it you're doing and how do you do it? Because there's there's a great guy uh, in the Eastern Conference that's been around an awfully long time. Stu Kernan, who's in Hamilton now, has, has been around for uh, for quite a bit of time. I talked to Dominic Papa when we were in Saginaw uh, a couple of weeks back. And, and there's a guy that's coming up on 30 years doing hockey games uh, in the Ontario Hockey League. And, and, and I wonder, I mean, I've never kept track, but... There are some guys out there that have already got some 
some time behind them and I don't know, in, in 20 more years, are you and I still going to be sitting here talking on podcasts and reminiscing about the good old days and, and stories that we remember from back in 2018? I don't think my memory works that well. <laughs> These guys have like an unbelievable memory to think back that far. I just hope if we are, I'm skinnier and have more hair. It's not going to happen, but I'm, I'm hoping. Well, you have a chance on one of them. <laughs> the hair? <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. I, I hope we are. I hope someday that uh, we are reminiscing 20 years back, looking back and being like, I remember when this guy was this age. Or I remember talking to Pete James. And then everyone being like, you talked to Pete James? And I'll be like, I remember when he just casually mentioned that he talked to Bart Starr. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Uh, I certainly hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation with Pete as much as we did. There will be lots more to come. As I said, I, I think I already teased that when we get to uh, Kingston in February, Jimmy Gilchrist would be a pretty good guy to catch up with and talk about some Eastern Conference and Kingston Canadians hockey if you want to go back that far. Anyway, as always, we encourage you to uh, you know leave us some feedback, rate the podcast, drop us a line on Twitter at Farwell underscore uh, OHL. And at underscore Chris Pope. Of course, you can also email us, Pope at 570news.com or Mike at 570news.com. And of course, subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, let us know what you think. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.